If you want to open your Bibles to Ruth, that's where we'll be today. Uh, not in Daniel, Jared. Come on. What are you doing? Um, so, last night, last night, um, I saw some of y'all here. Um, if not, that's okay. Uh, encounter was last night, um, and I was greatly encouraged, um, greatly encouraged by our time here last night. Um, and I just want to share with you for just a minute, and I don't know if it's bragging on uh, those who put it together, or the band, or what. I, I really don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, but I really was. I was. I was genuinely encouraged whenever I got home last night after our time together. Um, you know, it, it was a time where it's mostly music. Um, there was a young man uh, from the school who gave his testimony, which I thought he did a fantastic job. And just so you know, for a 17-year-old, I think he's 16, 17? How old? 16? Okay, for a 16-year-old, for a 16-year-old kid to get up in front of a bunch of people, many of whom he doesn't know, was really impressive. I, I think at 16 years old, I could not have done it. I genuinely don't think I could have. And he stood up here and he gave his testimony. Um, but whenever we got together, I, I, I'll admit, sometimes I'm a little nervous about things like that, um, especially where I know it's going to be a lot of contemporary music. And I know some of our contemporary music, it gets a bad rap for being very, very me-centered or very empty. Um, I'll tell you what, though. Last night, some of the songs we sang, like, I'd never heard them before. And I got home, I told Steph, I was like, man, I got to find some of these songs because these were really good. Um, one of them actually said, what we sang, what is the chief aim of man? Like, what is the chief aim of man? And then we sang about how we need to give glory to God. Like, that's our chief aim. It's to glorify an awesome God and to enjoy him forever. Like, that's our purpose here. I'm thinking, man, that's good stuff. And I was like, okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Then we started singing, all hail King Jesus. Like, we, there was a bunch of people in this room just shouting, all hail King Jesus. Like, it was awesome. And I just thought it couldn't get any better. And there was a song, and we sang this refrain several times, and it was, hell lost another one, and I am free. Like, man, y'all realize, I hope you get it. Hell has lost a room full of people. I hope you know Jesus, and we can say, hell lost you, and you, and you, and you, and it has no claim over you anymore. So I left this place afterwards encouraged. Like, I was pumped up. It was, uh, I, was I was thrilled. It was a good time. So, y'all, I do that for two reasons. One, just to tell you, like, sometimes we miss it. Why do we gather in a place like this? Well, it's to bring glory to God, ultimately, it's not so that we can get together because we love each other. It's great that we love each other, and we want to do that. Our chief goal, though, our primary goal is to glorify an awesome God. That's what we're here for. And as we get together, we should be getting together to hail King Jesus, to look to Jesus. We should be getting together because hell lost another one and another one and another one. And that should be our goal. It's after we leave this place, not just to go about our business, go home, watch the Chiefs play, whatever. That's not our goal. Our goal is to go out and see hell lose more. I want hell to lose hundreds or thousands, really millions and millions of people. That's what I hope happens as a result of our time together today. Now, that may sound like some grand cosmic scale. I don't care. Jesus shook the world with 12 guys. Like, don't, don't sell God short. He could do far more than what we think he can. So, anyway, all that on encounter. And the reason we're here, which is to glorify an awesome God, would you pray with me before we dive into God's Word today? Heavenly Father, um, I'm thankful that we can turn our attention to your Word. Um, as we studied in Sunday school this morning, that we can know who you are because you've shown us who you are. Not because we have good uh, logical reasons, although we do, but because you've shown us who you are. 
Lord, you were there in the beginning. You are so much higher than we are. Before we took a breath, before the universe existed, you knew our days. Lord, you knew everything. And Lord, so for that, we praise you. And even more than that, Lord, you revealed yourself to us in your word. And I pray that as we turn our attention to this book of Ruth, that you inspired by your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that we would be built up, that we would be encouraged, and we could go out and we could share the reason we have hope with those around us. So, Father, I pray that you would use this time to really, to really help us understand, understand the work that you do, the work that you have done, and the work that you always will do on our behalf. So, Lord, today we praise you. Today, I pray that you would be glorified, uh, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Y'all ever had somebody ask you the question, you want the good news first or the bad news first? Y'all ever heard that before? <laughs> All right, so I want to ask, really, because do y'all ever, like, whenever you answer that question, do you answer it the same way? Like, I always answer it the same way. Uh, so if you want the good news first, raise your hand for me. If you're a good news first person. Some of you are like, ah, anybody else? No, really, I mean, it's okay. Now, if you want the bad news first, raise your hand. Oh, smart people. Whew. I just disparaged those who said good news first, but whatever, Okay. Bad news is always first for me. Uh, it, always first. Somebody comes up to me and says, you want the, bad news, the good news or the bad news? I want the bad news first. Like, I just want to know, what do I have to deal with? Like, what do I have to take care of before you give me the good news? I'm excited for the good news, but give me the bad news first. That way, you know, and then you hear the good news, and the bad news doesn't usually seem quite so bad. Um, so I want the bad news first every time. Um, and that's just the, way, it's just the way I operate. It sounds like many of you do, too. That's smart people. I knew you were. Okay, well... In this book, in the book of Ruth, that's what happens. We get the bad news first. And if you remember back to last week, that's exactly what happened, right? If you weren't here last week, I'm just going to give you a quick, quick snapshot of chapter one of Ruth. Last week, we got the bad news, and that is that we have all rebelled against God, just like this family had rebelled against God. They had left God's presence, God's people, went away from the promised land, and traveled from Israel over to Moab, where they thought, well, hey, we'll find a, a living here. But really, all this rebellion did was lead them to isolation and bitterness. Ultimately, it led to, uh, led, led to disaster for them. Same thing happens to us. Whenever we try to walk away from God's promise, his presence, his people, what happens is usually disaster. Disaster. And in this particular case, we saw it play out with death and destruction. And, but, but if you remember, I, I tried my best not to leave you just on a down note. Like It ends, chapter 1 ends with just a glimmer of hope. A glimmer of hope. As they returned to God's promised land and his people, it says that they arrived at the time of the barley harvest. And I hope that you get from that that it's a turning point. Something shifts at that point. And today we're going to get the beginning of the good news. Okay, just the beginning of it. And it's going to keep getting better as we go through Ruth. But today we get the beginning of the good news. Um, so the reason, you know, let me back up a little bit. Today's the beginning of the good news. Okay. And the good news really is, God is working, right? I hope you know God is at work, and he's working for our good, right? Um, if you go to Romans, it says that uh, all, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Um, God's working all things together, all things together for our good and for his glory. Um, and he really does, he shows his great love for us by working for us. And now, now, there are certain things that I think that we can and I think we need to understand about this work. 
Okay, he's doing good work. We can trust that. But what does that really mean? What does that look like? Um, because really, until we understand what that means, what this good work looks like, I don't know that we can ever really be like Ruth. Um, I don't know that we could be just like her. Because Now, understand, we also have the benefit of hindsight. We live thousands of years after the book of Ruth uh, took place, right? I hope, hope you all know that. We're thousands of years down the line. So we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look back on this, and we can understand a little bit more about how God is working. But see, we need to be like Ruth. We need to see things as they are, not as we would like them to be. We need to see how God has revealed himself and just how he's working for our good. Um, so we're going to do this thing. We're going to stand again out of respect for reading God's word. And I know you've been up and down, but God's word is important. I think it's worth our respect. So let's stand as we read God's word. We're going to be reading Ruth chapter two today. We're going to read the whole chapter and then we'll dive in and look at how God is working for our good. Ruth chapter two says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Naomi answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in a portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servants who was in, or asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? The servant answered, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting, and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. My Lord, she said, I have found favor with you for you have comforted and encouraged your servant. Although I am not like one of your female servants. At mealtime, Boaz told her, Come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, Let her even gather among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some of the stalks from the bundles and leave and and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She, she picked up the grain and went into the town, where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today, and where did you work? 
May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with. Is this thing working now? Hey, I hear me now. Wow. Some of you all liked it better when you couldn't. All right. Ruth 2. Ruth 2. So the reason I say there are things that we need to understand about God's work for our good, okay? Again, we have the benefit of hindsight, um, but really I think think that, that even the readers or hearers of Ruth uh, before the time of Jesus, I think they would have understood at least some of this. At least some of this, okay? Now, in the book of Ruth, Boaz, Boaz, the Redeemer who we're introduced here to, um, he is a type of Jesus. Understand, I'm not saying he is Jesus because he's an imperfect man, but he's a type of Jesus. He's a Redeemer who goes and redeems back these people. And it's a picture of what Jesus would do, right? Now, again, Boaz is a flawed man. He was not perfect. He is not Jesus, not saying that, but he is a type of Jesus. He is one who shows us how God works in redeeming his people. So as we see him take notice of Ruth, uh, as he pursues her, as he provides for her, we see that he cares for her much like God cares for us. He pursues us. He comes after us. He provides for us. And it really, it shows us things both about ourselves and how God works. And that's what I want us to see today. These things that we need to understand about God's work that is for our good. Okay, And the first of these is that God pursues us while we are only poor beggars. Do you guys realize that God pursued us? He pursued us while we were only poor beggars. We come to verse 1 and we're introduced to this guy named Boaz. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. And as we're introduced to Boaz, he's described in three ways. First, it says that he's a, he's a relative of Naomi through Elimelech, right? So he's one of Elimelech's family members. Now, this is going to be important whenever we start considering Elimelech's property uh, here in just a moment, because remember, women at this time, they couldn't hold property. They didn't have rights like we would think of, right? So it would have been, it would have had to have been purchased back by a man in the family. So 
this is going to be important whenever we find that there is a, a family member, a male family member on Elimelech's side of the family. But then we find that Boaz is described as a prominent man. Um, in the Hebrew, this word is ha'il. Uh, this, this prominence is ha'il. Um, it really it means that he is he's powerful, is the point. He is a powerful man, or that um, really it, it could just tell us that he's a landowner. Okay, so this is a powerful land-owning male, so it's not like he's a middle-class citizen or a lower-class citizen. As far as around Bethlehem is concerned, he's in the upper class. This is a powerful man, and whenever he speaks, it has authority. Whenever he does something, it means something. So Boaz, as we're introduced to him, he's a prominent man. He's a wealthy landowner, so he has power, and this puts him in the upper class of Israelites. So then we also find, however, that he is a man of noble character. Now, the NIV, the NIV leaves this word untranslated. Um, it actually ties it back to the high yield that we just talked about with the power. But there is actually, in the, in the Hebrew, there's another word that is here. And this word is gibor. So not only is he a powerful man, a prominent man, uh, this word gibor means manly or vigorous or that he's a hero or a champion. Um, so we find that he is a champion in every sense of the word. He's a powerful man. He's got character. He does what's right. He's a hero. He's a hero. But at verse 1, he's just kind of thrown at us, isn't he? Kind of seemingly out of nowhere. Here's this guy named Boaz. He's a family member of Naomi's. And then it goes away from him for a verse. Like it's, it's like we're following Naomi and Ruth through chapter 1, and then it's time of the barley, barley harvest. And oh, by the way, there's this guy named Boaz. We'll get back to him in a minute. We're going to go to verse 2. So verse 2, we find that Ruth, she's asking permission to go out to the field. It says, Ruth the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? And then, in the last part of verse 2, Naomi gives permission. She says, go ahead, my daughter. And what Ruth is asking permission to do is called gleaning. She's asking permission to go out and glean behind the harvesters. And what this gleaning is, is it's going out, picking up the fallen grain, and it was reserved for the poor in the land, for those who are destitute, like the lowest of lows. They had no other way to provide for themselves, so they were allowed to go out and pick up fallen grain out in people's field. We find provisions for this in places like Deuteronomy 24, where Moses here is recapping the law. It says, when you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheaf in the field, don't go back and get it. It is to be left for the resident alien, by the way, that was Ruth, the fatherless and the widow, also Ruth, so that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands. So, these things that are lost, dropped in the field, they're to be left for people just like Ruth. The lowest of lows in society. Leviticus 19 says something similar. Um, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. So we find provision like this way back in the giving of the law. And this gleaning was a provision for the poor and the aliens in the, in the land of Israel. So by asking, by asking Naomi for permission to go out and glean, Ruth is emphasizing their poverty. She's saying, look, we can't make a living on our own. We're going to starve unless we do something. What can we do? Well, God's made provision for us. So I need to go out and I need to work. I need to go pick it up. And Naomi, Naomi agrees. She says, go for it. Go get it. We need to do something. So Naomi allows it, and she agrees. They are poor and destitute. So verse 3, Ruth goes out to glean. And I love that it says that she just happens 
she happens to enter the field of Boaz, this prominent man of noble character. Last part of verse 3, it says she happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Um, this, this is funny, right? Like, we look at this, and this is just chance. She doesn't know who farms where. She doesn't know whose land is what. She's not from here. She shows up at the time of the barley harvest, and she's like, I got to go, fi- go pick a field. So it's like she's blindfolded, and she just randomly points, and she goes to that field. And it just happens to be this prominent man of noble character. It belongs to Boaz. So she goes to his field. Um, actually, one commentator said happened. Um, it, it's the, in the Hebrew, the word is there twice. So it's, uh, if, you, if we wanted a literal translation of what this says, it's kind of like a word-for-word thing. Um, it, it says that she chanced her chance to come upon Boaz's portion. She chanced her chance. It was just random chance, you know, roll of the dice, and it just happened to be Boaz's field. It just happened to be. <laughs> so is it just an accident that Ruth winds up in Boaz's field? No, no, it's not. Maybe from her perspective, it was an accident. She had no idea what she was doing. She wasn't planning anything. But was God surprised? No. He was orchestrating everything. See, God's providence is actually a big part of this book. And we don't always see how God is working. But one thing that we can trust is that he is working. Even when we don't see it. She was just trying to go out and find a way to provide a meal. And she winds up in this guy's field, in Boaz's field. So then in verse 4, Boaz shows up and he asks about Ruth. And it says, uh, later when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to, his harv- he said to the harvester, harvesters, Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. They replied, Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? Okay, now this is just a young woman, doesn't know anything about who she is, doesn't know a thing. He says, who is that? Okay, now this is going to be important. Who notices who here? Boaz noticed Ruth. Not Ruth noticing Boaz. And that's going to be important as we go on here. Okay, but again, notice, he says, who does, who does she belong to? She has to belong to somebody. Who's her father? Who's her husband? Who's, uh, who does she belong to? <clears throat> so just keep this in mind. We get to verse 6. The servant gives a report of Ruth. The servant answers, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. Okay, now remember, here we are in the small town of Bethlehem. Small town of Bethlehem, and here comes Naomi, who's been gone for a decade, rolling back in with this foreign girl by her side. No sons, no husband, nobody else with her, just this foreign girl. And it seems... From the servant's answer, that Boaz has already heard of Ruth the Moabitess. Seems like he's already got some familiarity with who she is. Because he says, well, this is a young woman who came back with Naomi. This is her. Like the one that everybody's talking about, the buzz all around town. Yeah, this is the girl. Like here she is. The servant says, here she is. She's been working hard all day. She rested just a little while in the shelter. Otherwise, she's been on her feet all day. She asked permission. She's done everything that she's supposed to do. Now, what I want you to know is that we're Ruth. We are Ruth. We are the poor beggars who have nothing to offer. That's us. Are any of you offended yet? Man, I'm not trying hard enough. You are poor, lowly beggars. That's what we are. But the good news is that God notices us. He noticed us. As soon as we start to think that we have something to offer or that we're good or that we deserve his attention, we miss the entire essence of the gospel. We miss the point. 
See, what we often miss is that we only have the ability to live because God is gracious enough that he sees us. The only reason we can be brought back to God is because he took notice of us. Um, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he's showing really that there's no benefit uh, to being Jew or Gentiles. And here he writes this in in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. See, whenever we start thinking, I pursued God and that's how I found him, we miss the point. See, Ruth wasn't looking for a redeemer. She wasn't looking for a redeemer. She was looking for a way to find a meal. But God saw her. God saw her and provided something far better. And we, like her, we have no standing before God. We're not, honestly, most, none of us, none of us, we're not even looking for God. We weren't even looking for him. We weren't even looking for salvation. We're just trying to find our way through life. And God looks at us and he says, they need a savior. They need a redeemer. He notices us. We are simple beggars. But thank God for the salvation we have in Jesus because he pursued us. See, God pursues us while we are only beggars. But the second thing we need to understand is that God provides for us in ways that we can't provide on our own. He provides for us in ways that we can't on our own. And this plays out several ways here in this text. First, we find that he provides protection. We're going to see how he provides necessities here in a minute. But verse 8, it says that Boaz approaches Ruth. Not Ruth approaching Boaz. That wouldn't have been okay. Um, And he says, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? What Boaz just told Ruth here in verse 8 is stay in my field where I can keep you safe. Stay close to me where I can provide protection for you. And remember who Ruth is. She is a young, now unmarried woman has no father around, she has no brothers around, she has zero standing in this society. She is as vulnerable as they come. And she is out here working in this field with no protection. As a matter of fact, if you look, you notice that it's the young men who have been commanded not to touch her. Young men are told, you better stay away from her. Or else you've got to deal with the Lord of the Harvest. You've got to deal with Boaz. You've got to deal with the owner. So what Boaz is telling her, as long as you are in my field, I'll see it to it that no one even thinks about abusing you in any way at all. And at verse 10, she falls down and asks why she found favor with him, remembering that she has absolutely no standing, but Boaz promised protection for this low, poor widow. Verse 11, Boaz, it says that he answered, really answered as a poor translation. Really in the Hebrew, what it says is Boaz raised his voice. Boaz here is asserting his authority, and he says that he knows of everything that, that Ruth has done for Naomi. In verse 12, Boaz blesses her. It says that she's found refuge under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. Now, this may not seem like a big deal, but what Boaz, uh, what Boaz is saying to her is that he's protecting her because God has been protecting her. He realizes God's favor has been on her, and he says, I'll protect you because God has been protecting you. One commentator um, pointed out that this is kind of Ruth's way of being naturalized uh, as, as, uh, into the nation of Israel. Um, he pointed out that this is, she's no longer this foreign girl who's over here with no protection, nothing at all. Instead, she is, now, she is now with the Israelites. She's sort of a part of the family now. Boaz is saying, oh no, I'll protect you like you're one of ours. You're one of us now. See, God is providing protection for Ruth in ways that she could have never been protected on her own both by providing Boaz and by guiding her steps. God is guiding her to protect her and providing Boaz. And then God also provides for the necessities of life, and he sometimes does this in obvious ways. 
Sometimes he does this in obvious ways. And we see that play out here, right? Verse 14, Boaz invites her to eat with him. And she eats right alongside the harvesters. It even says it's until she's satisfied and then she gets a doggy bag to take home, right? So she's ready to roll. She has more than she could eat. And clearly, Ruth knew what Boaz was doing by providing for her needs. Like, she's, she sees the obvious. He took care of my needs. But oftentimes, we don't know. We don't know what God is doing. And there are ways that Boaz does that here too, right? Yeah, I hope you see this. Verse 15, Ruth goes back to gather grain. She goes back just doing her business. And Boaz, he tells his harvesters to let her glean even among the bundles without embarrassing her for not knowing what she's doing because she's a foreigner who doesn't know the cultural norms. And he gives, her, gives up a part of her livelihood, right? Uh, he gives up part of his livelihood, right? So he says, pull out some of the stocks from the bundles. Just leave them behind. Don't go back and get them. Just drop the stocks out of the bundles. Leave whole stocks for her. Don't worry about it. Just drop some for her so she'll have more than she needs. She doesn't know what he's doing. She has no clue what he's doing. She's just out here trying to eke out a living. And here, here is Boaz saying, give her more than what she needs. Provide for her. Care for her. And she has no idea what he's doing. See, what Boaz is doing is stacking the deck in Ruth's favor. She has no clue. She's just happy to be dealt all aces, right? She's just happy to get it. So God, he provides protection and necessities. And the way he does this is beyond what we can comprehend. And it goes on here. So she works all day, yes. But at the end of the day, um, the CSB, it says that uh, she had 26 quarts. Most translations will say an ephah. Okay? So she had an ephah of this grain. Now, this is no small amount. Like, this is not something that's like, oh, well, it's no big deal. She had a little bit to take home. Oh, no. This is a tremendous deal. Uh, one commentator, I told you I was going to be commenting or quoting several times. His name uh, is George Schwab. He said, Ruth was enabled to glean an ephah of grain. This amount borders on too much to carry. It is enough to sustain several persons for an extended period of time. Okay, first of all, just think about this if you're Naomi. <laughs> you're this mother-in-law who's at home. Your daughter-in-law is out gleaning. She's picking up what was dropped behind, and here she comes with more than she can carry. Just lose it. I got this picture, like, uh, you know, sometimes you hold your shirt out and you load it up with stuff, and stuff's falling over the top. I just picture her coming back with all this, and it's just pouring out the sides because she can't carry it all. And here she comes with more than enough to sustain them for several days. Like, she was just trying to get a meal, and she comes home with more than she can carry. The point is, whether it's God's obvious provision, um, here we see it play out by uh, Ruth eating so much that she needed a takeout box, or his hidden provision, um, leaving stocks behind for her, we find that Ruth's needs were more than met. More than just meeting her needs. She had a surplus. She had more than she, could, she knew what to do with. Likewise, when God cares for us, when God provides for us, he does so in a way that provides more than we would even know to ask for. See, the good news of the gospel isn't just that, well, he saved us from our sin, but instead he had brought us into the family. Like, he made us sons and daughters of the king. Like, this is good news. She wouldn't have even dreamt of asking for all this. But God provided it anyway. So, God pursues us while we're only poor beggars, provides for us in ways that we can't on our own. And the third, God produces the redeemer that we desperately need. This is the point. Y'all, this is the point. 
God produces the redeemer that we desperately need. Ruth comes back from a long day of gleaning with this ridiculous amount of grain and the leftovers that she had. She gives them to Naomi so Naomi can eat. And Naomi instantly recognizes that somebody must have taken notice of Ruth. She knows that as soon as she sees all this, she's like, boy, Ruth found favor with someone, with somebody. Because there's no way she could have done all this on her own. Okay, so verse 19, Ruth tells Naomi that she worked with this guy named Boaz, this guy who was just kind of thrown at us back in verse 1. Now she comes home and says, look, I I worked in the field of this guy named Boaz, and here we get the central focus of this book, like the central theme of this book, which is on this redeemer that she needed. Um, I told you a couple weeks ago about this chiistic structure. I thought it was funny. I sent it to Colby because he was curious about this chiistic structure. Uh, One commentator showed a whole chiistic structure on, on the book of Ruth. Like, thinking that the whole central point, the whole central focus of this book is this verse, verse 20. This is the point. So, here she comes. She says, look, somebody's taking notice of you. And this is where it all comes together. She says in verse 20, May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. I'm going to read that again, because we're going to look at this for just, for just a minute, because this is, this is important, okay? Verse 20 says, May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Okay, two things. Two things here. First, this is the same kindness we talked about last week. This loving kindness, this kindness that was shown to Ruth here. This is the Hebrew word hesed. It means loving kindness. It's usually God's love for mankind. And this is the kind of love. This is the kind of kindness that Naomi is blessing Boaz for here. Like, Blessing it for God's favor, for the favor of God, the loving kindness that she needed. Second thing we need to see here, though, is is actually a question. Um, If we look at this verse, it says, He has not abandoned his loving kindness. Now, who is the he? Who is he that this verse is referring to? Now, there's a few opinions, actually uh, two main opinions, and I'll give you a, a third that I think actually answers that question better. Some believe that he here, who's showing the loving kindness, is Boaz, right? Um, He has been kind, he's been gracious, and this would actually fit because if you're a grammar nerd, he's the nearest antecedent, okay? So it would make sense. Boaz, all right, cool. So that's the answer? Well, maybe. Some, however, believe that the he is Yahweh, is the Lord. It's God because he's the main subject of the sentence. So he is showing his loving kindness, Right? So that also makes sense. He's the primary subject of the sentence. So which is it? Is it Boaz or is it the Lord? Now, my opinion is that the language here is intentionally intentionally vague. I think that the language here is intentionally vague. And I think that the author is brilliant. Brilliant in leaving this vague. Uh, See, I agree with with Schwab again whenever he writes. uh, The ambiguity of the Hebrew wording reflects the spiritual reality that God's actions coincide with his redeemers. So whose loving kindness is it? Is it Boaz's or is it the Lord's? And the answer is yes. It is God showing his loving kindness, but he's doing so through Boaz. Isn't that awesome? Like, I don't know if you see how that's so important. Like, uh, let me just explain this to you for a minute. He's showing his loving kindness through a person. Now, do you realize that you could be the Boaz? God wants to show his loving kindness to people. You know how he does that? Typically, it's through people. It could be through you. That God shows his loving kindness. Ultimately, he did it in Jesus. But maybe that message of Jesus and the love that he has for you comes through you. Y'all, that's good stuff. 
God works through people. God is showing his loving kindness, and he's doing so through Boaz. See, Naomi continues to tell Ruth that Boaz is this family redeemer or uh, kinsman redeemer. And Boaz, what that means is that Boaz has the ability to purchase back what belonged to Elimelech. And this is, this is bigger This is far bigger than just gathering enough food to survive. This is bigger than just eking by an existence. Boaz brings Ruth and by connection brings Naomi the position to thrive. Not just just eke by a living, but to actually succeed, to thrive in life. Naomi, for the very first time since leaving Bethlehem back in chapter 1, for the very first time she has hope. And you can almost see it as you read through the rest of this book. You can see Naomi's expression change. Where she came back in and she said, don't call me, don't call me sweet, don't call me pleasant, call me bitterness. Because I am bitter, I'm angry with God, I have no hope. From here on, you start to see her disposition change. Because she realizes that God has made a way for them. See, all of this is because Boaz, there was a redeemer who placed his favor on Ruth. And it brings this tremendous hope, this surplus See, God pursues us while we are only poor beggars. He provides for us in ways that we can't, and he produces the Redeemer that we desperately need. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What we need is not a better strategy. We don't need to look more attractive on the outside. What we need is a Redeemer. That's what we need. Why? Well, because ultimately we are only poor beggars with no standing on our own. None. We have all rebelled against God and we've come back as foreigners to the promise. But there is a Redeemer who has noticed us. One who, despite our lack of anything good, has placed his affection on us. We had nothing good to offer on our own. God placed his affection on us anyway. (laughs) Why? Well, because he wanted to. And that's the good news of the gospel. God pursues us even though we have nothing to offer. And not only does he pursue us, he goes to extraordinary lengths to do things that we couldn't possibly do for ourselves. Extraordinary lengths. See, our sin has created such a great chasm that we cannot possibly cross it on our own. Now, this is the gospel, right? We are dead in our sin and our trespasses. You know what dead people don't do? Anything. Dead people don't do anything. You know what God did anyway? He brought us to life. See, we are infinitely too sinful for God. Infinitely too sinful. We have nothing to offer. One sin before this infinitely holy God leaves us infinitely hopeless. We don't have a chance on our own. But despite our status as lowly beggars, God loves us and he made a way for us by sending Jesus. He's the redeemer that we need. He is the redeemer that we need. He can actually do something for us. And not only can he do something for us, he can do far greater than what we are expecting. And he did. He did. Not only can he care for our temporary needs, because that seems like that's all Ruth was after, which is fine. Not only can he care for those needs, but he brings us into the family and he gives us a surplus. See, there's this idea at the end of verse 14. It's also found at the end of verse 18. um, This idea of having more than she could handle, more than she needed. She had leftovers, right? I joked about taking a doggy bag home. She had more than she needed. Y'all know that whenever Jesus comes and he saves us, you know, it gives us more than just, just something simple. More than, more than just a little. More than just enough to get us by. He gives us a surplus. More than we can handle on our own. More than we need for ourselves. She was completely satisfied in her Redeemer and had some left over. And church, that is us. See, we are the Ruths who, who can be completely satisfied 
even though we're only beggars. We have hope because of his faithful will, because of his loving kindness. And we, we hope because Jesus did exceedingly greater things for us than we could have ever known to ask for. So what do we do as a result of this text? What do we do as a result of Ruth 2? Well, it's, I'm going to be as simple as I can today. I'm going to just give you a simple application for this. Um, thank God for Jesus. What do you do as a result of this text? Thank God for Jesus. Um, and if that's all you get from today, that's good enough for me. Y'all, I'm good with that. Thank God for Jesus. But if you want more than that, understand Ruth had an overflow. She had a surplus. And you know what she did with that surplus? She gave it to somebody else. She took it to somebody else. Not because she was good, not because she worked hard enough, not because she was great, but because she just happened to be in the right place and a redeemer placed his affection on her. She had a surplus, and she went home and she said, Hey, Naomi, I've got something for you too. I've got something left for you. So here, it came from my Redeemer. What do we do as a result of our surplus from our Redeemer? We share it with somebody else. Go share the good news with those around you so that they can come to the Redeemer too. Um, Look, I I believe that one more thing that we can do from this text is not to wander too far from him. Notice, Boaz is clear. Stay close to me. Stay with me. Walk with me. Um, And then just wait to see what he does next. Because he's about to do something even greater. Let's pray. Father, um, God, I thank you that while I was a Ruth, um, you loved me. Um, Lord, it's really quite remarkable whenever we start to think of the fact that we had no idea, no idea what you were doing. You loved us far beyond what we could comprehend. And you made a way for us. Uh, Lord, you crossed a chasm that we couldn't. You did things that are greater than anything that's ever been done. Lord, your love extends beyond what we can fathom. Um, Lord, I think about Boaz here and going out of his way to love this poor foreign widow um, and to provide for her, to protect her, And as we're going to see in the weeks ahead to redeem her, um, Lord, I'm reminded of the work that you've done through Jesus. Um, Father, not only did you make a way for us to to survive, you brought us into your family. Um, Lord, what an awesome gift. What an extravagant gift. So today, just like last night, I just want to praise you. I just want to say all hail King Jesus, Um, and I thank you. I thank you for loving us, placing your affections on us while we were only poor beggars. God, I pray that you would help us then to take that good news, take take our surplus, and go to those around us and share the good news that we have, uh, that we have a Redeemer, a Redeemer who loves us and gave himself for us. Um, So, Lord, uh, move us, direct us. Um, ultimately, Lord, I pray that you would change us so that we would glorify you with our lives. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.